0: You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on
1: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at dcaureview.com. Now, here's today's episode.
0: Welcome, everybody, to part two of our DC Directrospective. We are continuing our look back at some of the most iconic and our favorite lines in the 22-year history of DC Direct slash DC Collectibles. With me along for the ride, as he always is, is my good friend and co-host, my brother Liam. Liam, welcome back. We are continuing our look at some of our favorite and the most iconic Lines produced of action figures in the DC Direct 22-year run.
1: Absolutely, and of course we do invite you to start with part one if this happens to be uh, where you're starting here. We already went over quite a few of our favorite lines, most of those based on specific artists or specific comic book storylines, and we'll have some of those continuing today. But really, it's that that was more of the artist-focused set, and uh, yeah, it was it was great reminiscing over some of the great Alex Ross inspired toys or the Ed McGinnis or Jim Lee inspired toys. Uh, quite a bit of fun to, to look back at those and to sort of pick out our, our favorites from each of those really iconic sets.
0: Uh, I agree with you, Liam. Now we did have a question that came in that somebody asked, Uh, us on social media which you can ask us at dcau review uh, either on twitter or on instagram we are both places liam runs our twitter page somebody asked us if we had to select an artist who maybe never got a designer line because again we highlighted a lot of artists our favorite artists in that first episode to get a line of figures that never got one dedicated to him, who would it be? So Liam, I'll let you answer that question first. Uh, There's, again, we mentioned a lot of modern day artists that got, got lines that were directly uh, based off of artwork or specific runs in comic books that they got. We mentioned a few, maybe one or two of the icon, icons from the 80s that maybe maybe got uh, a line or two directed to them. You mentioned George Perez for his Teen Titans run. Uh, but there are a lot of DC artists from maybe the 50s to the 80s that really never got a specific line dedicated to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's sort of the classics, like a uh, Dick Spring who is so... Synonymous with that sort of second era, the beginning of the Silver Age of Batman, um, we have the introduction of Robin and, and some of the sillier elements, but also these very iconic, definitive versions of characters like the Joker and Penguin. Um, and we have had some figures based on uh, DC or on uh, some of his art. There was a the Rainbow Batman set. That uh, the DC Direct released, which is actually a great set and sort of a few one off figures here and there. But I always thought that it would have been fun to see a a direct, you know, Batman 1940s Batman set. You do a Batman, a Robin, maybe Joker and and one other villain from that from that Dick Spring era sort of all centered around him. Because that was one that I feel like, again, even though we sort of had one or special sets released That's what you know. That's you can't tell the story of DC Comics without talking about the art of Dick spraying, and uh, that that would be one that stands out to me. Is it would have been cool to see him get a, a spotlight series somewhere along the lines?
0: Certainly, I think the same could be said with. Uh, Neil Adams Batman set obviously mm. Neil Adams is, is so iconic and responsible for that that shift in that paradigm shift sort of in in the the way that Batman was portrayed and getting away from those more lighthearted, goofy 50s and 60s style to a more serious detective noir style and uh, obviously his his portrayal of, of, of Batman is so iconic, but even being able to throw in a, a Superman, you know, he, he has the several iconic Superman covers uh, mm-hmm. based on his drawings of Superman. So that could have been one that you dedicated to an artist and, and get different, different styles and, and multiple across multiple different superheroes. But uh, again, that's uh, unfortunately in the rearview mirror. Now, as we look back at some of the great, lines here as far as our favorites in DC direct and we've already covered some of our favorite as we said specific artists in the first part Liam part two here we're going to focus on some of just I think more of the ones that while they may incorporate specific artists or art designs I think just the impact that they end up made making and uh, maybe maybe just the the iconic nature of the series and being near and dear to our hearts, I think, uh, make these ones uh, worth being highlighted. But uh, let's kick it off, Liam, with maybe what ended up being one of the most massive lines of DC Direct, in DC Direct history, uh, coming in with eight different series. Uh, that would be the 2008, 2009, and this the series actually stretched all the way through 2011, a landmark crossover event in the dc that being blackest night and i know that parts of this series liam are polarizing and people not loving the rainbow lanterns and <laughs> the different colored lanterns but to me this series was so toyetic and it was so exciting to see them go through and really fill out the various different rosters of the Lantern Corps. I think Jeff Johns being the creative force behind this led to a lot of the momentum and certainly a lot of the the series uh, continuation here in 3D form that probably had a big influence on it. Uh, but with that said, there's a lot of Toyota characters in this series.
1: No doubt about it. And it's interesting because they didn't necessarily start off with all the, the A-list main characters of this piece. It's, if you look at that first series, yes, you have a, a Black Lantern Superman, but you have, the rest of that set is a, a Boudicca, sort of one of the ancillary Green Lanterns. You have Saint Walker, the Blue Lantern, and this set, I think this Blackest Night set also doubled as kind of in the year or so leading up to Blackest Nights, where they introduced all the different colored ring cores. Uh, so this double is not only making uh, making it for the Blackest Night event itself, but also sort of filling out all of these different cores, the Blue Lanterns, red, orange, green uh, and indigo uh, and yellow, of course. Um, so it, I think it doubles as both sort of a Sinestro, uh, you know, Sinestro, there actually were Sinestro core war figures, but um for the rest of them, for those other uh, blue and red and and orange and and violet and <laughs> and the <there's their laughs> rings, all the rainbow colors uh of the rings i think so I think this line doubles as both a blackest night line but it's also just sort of a general lantern core line as well,
0: yeah, they as you mentioned, I remember those lines like the the green lantern d c direct figure from the the Kyle Rayner DC direct figure, uh, which was probably a 2000 or 2001 release was probably one of, if not the first DC direct figure that I ever owned. Um, That's Kyle in his classic nineties uniform um, Mm -hmm. came with a, came with a power battery and uh, wasn't a, a stunning figure overall, but it was cool to have that figure in that style. Yes, we had a total justice version of Kyle, uh, yes. From the Hasbro line, or the the Kanner line from the from the late late 90s, but this was a you know six and a half or seven inch tall. Uh, very true to the artwork style so f- every time that there was a new lantern that was released it's like oh I get to fill out the I get to fill out the roster a little bit and yes it maybe it wasn't wasn't the same art style or the same artist that designed them but they sort of all fit together I can remember when the kilowog figure got released and that's another figure that's just massive a yes. heavy heavy figure you could kill a man uh, you know somebody breaks into your house go for the kilowog figure and you <laughs> whack somebody over the head with that and kill him like it's it's a heavy piece of plastic uh, but it's another one of those unique characters that had never been made before in in figure form that you finally get in 3d You're like yes i can put him on my shelf now with my kyle rayner and you know this at that time of course they started making that was the time during uh hal jordan was the specter at that time so you had a hal jordan specter you had you know, uh, various different different other lanterns that were being produced at that time. So being able to put those characters, yes, this was the start of a line based on a particular comic series, but like you said, it fills out a lot of the the roster that had already been created so uh, However, I think this also gave a launching point to some of the more popular characters that end up coming out of this Blackest Night series. So in that first series, you have Atrocitus, who, again, is one of those characters. I don't know what it is about him, but he's a very popular character that has had very few figures made of him. And because of Mm -hmm. that... He's a very expensive figure to try and obtain Uh, this figure and as well as the the DC, uh, the Mattel Signature Series, which was sort of a sister series to the DC Universe Classics figures uh, is a very difficult, expensive figure to purchase if you're trying to get it nowadays, Uh, but it it the I think the design work leads. Leads to this looking, looking fantastic. They did a, did a sort of metallic sheen to the armor on the, the Red Lanterns in this series. It stands out. It's a great figure. Uh, St. Walker, another unique looking character. It looks cool sitting on your shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I would have changed the pose a little bit because it's a little hard to fit on. A lot of these figures are sort of broad shouldered, uh, so it's hard to fit a lot of them <laughs> on, on a shelf. But uh, yeah, filling out, filling out, being able to fill out the different core members and the different members that are featured in this comic series, say what you want about the series itself, whether you liked it or you didn't, being able to go and buy a character that fills out sort of an an army, as it were, a, a core builder, as you as it were, is always an awesome way to keep a series going, which is probably why this thing went eight eight different series.
1: Yeah, definitely. And in some some ways it was sort of a modernized sort of current look update for a few characters. I mean, the John Stewart look in, in the comics hasn't really changed all that much. Right. But to get sort of a more modern uh, other than the Ed McGuinness one, I don't know that we had sort of a regular modern uh, John Stewart figure at that point. So it was cool to have him in there. You got the at that point modern Kyle Rayner suit later on in the line, which sort of featured. It was sort of an amalgam of some of his different looks, where he, he had he had the white gloves sort of of the How Jordan suit. He had the sort of the old school Kyle Rayner mask, but then he also had a sort of a more traditional look to the rest of the suit. So getting you know that figure made, I thought was was cool because uh, Kyle Rayner in all of his various looks. Uh, he's one of the more, uh, uh toyetic, as we like to say, uh, uh, comic book characters as far as changing up his look pretty regularly over the last, uh, you know, 25 to 30 years. He's been, uh, he's, he's almost been around now and, uh, every look is, is just immediately like, that's going to make a cool action figure. And, uh, this, yeah. this, version, <laughs> this version of Kyle is, is, is uh, to me, one of the standouts of these early series, especially, uh. He came in the series four in 2010 uh, that that Kyle stands out to me as sort of at the time a very modern take on him and it, it fits really well.
0: Yeah, you talk about toyetic figures. Also, um, I think this is another character that has not had a lot of action figures made yet. Is a very toyetic and popular character. That being Larflees, of course, mm-hmm. being the only of the uh, the only member of the Orange Lantern Corps, uh, because because of its uh, its emotion being avarice or gluttony or however you want to put it, it's uh, very selfish. So you get uh, you get the only the sole member of the Orange Lantern Corps. Well, at least until we get some of the the additional members added on in, in the later series, but uh, the Larfleeze figure, I think, to me, is maybe the best figure in the entire set. The way that he, the way that the, they translated his look to action figure form, the way that he can kind of hold uh, his his uh, his lantern and in a very possessive way lends to the character's attitude. Very, very cool to sit it on a shelf and and uh, translate very well. But as, as you mentioned, Liam, Toyetic is the name of the game. And the entire sort of Black Hand's army, of or what we would later find out, is Necron's army of zombified superheroes, which are the Black Lanterns, which, of course, every week that you read the issue or, or every I guess it was every week or every couple weeks that you read the the latest issue of Blackest Night. You were kind of waiting to see who the next zombified (laughs) superhero would appear, and so many of these superheroes that had been turned into these mindless zombies. Which, by the way, this came out again end of end of uh, 2008, 2009 zombies all the rage really hitting the height of zombie mania here in the U.S. So uh, nothing, nothing bigger than zombie versions of different characters. So you get, you get many, many iterations. As we said, you started out in series one, you had earth two Superman Um, going through, you have Aquaman, uh, you end up with a Flash, you end up with Firestorm, Deadman, Hawkman, you even of course get the Black Lantern Batman, you get Black Lantern Hawkgirl, Hal Jordan eventually uh, makes the ranks also, and then you have uh, another Superman, a Terra from the Teen Titans era with the with the guardian scar and then you have a a black lantern flash as well. So you really fill out the roster there. I think you eventually get a black lantern wonder woman too. So you, you go through there and you have the sort of zombified or some of them, these more skeletal uh, flesh rotting versions Mm -hmm. of characters. And uh, those really stand out and and make a great addition to any, any collection shelf, just because they look really cool.
1: Yeah, the hawks especially, I think, because they have, they have the wings, but they, they don't have any feathers on them. So there's yep. sort of these barren skeletal wings on their backs. Both Hawkman and Hawkgirl got figures in these sets. And yeah, the, they really stand out to me. All of them uh, look look quite good uh, as far as, yeah, filling out that, that zombie roster. And of course, one of the other iconic moments of this set is that all of the Lantern Corps, in sort of an, an attempt to further combat these Black Lanterns, Make new sort of temporary recruits. Each uh, each lantern core gets a new one. So we ended up with characters like Mira as a Red Lantern, uh, Blue Lantern Barry Allen Flash. We have uh, the Indigo Lantern Ray Palmer Adam, uh, the Orange Lantern Lex Luthor. We sort of in an orange version of that superpower suit. And to me, the the most iconic version of all of these, the Sinestro Corps member jonathan crane scarecrow which is just one of those things where like as soon as you hear that idea of like of scarecrow getting the yellow ring based on fear you're like how did it take them until 2009 to think of that idea (laughs) like that's so brilliant it's so simple but it's so brilliant like of course of course he would be if you if you started handing out uh rings of these different emotions to people on earth like of course jonathan crane would end up with a Sinestro Corps. It's a great iconic moment in the book, too, where, of course, these Black Lanterns feed on various emotions, and Scarecrow is saddened because he can no longer feel fear now that Batman appears to be dead. And so he's sort of walking around uh, just being completely nonplussed by all of the black lanterns who are trying to scare him. And finally he gets this ring and he sort of takes back that power of fear. And it's this really just clever and iconic moment. But I think, yeah, those, the other colored cores, uh, giving out rings to all of these different characters, uh, the, uh, that, and I, I think the, uh, just some really, really clever, clever ideas in there. And, um, yeah, but I think the, the Sinestro core scarecrow stands out to me, especially.
0: Yeah, I think the the Star Sapphire Wonder Woman was a was a great Definitely. look, too. Uh, and then, you, of course, you have Barry Allen in, as you mentioned, as a Blue Lantern, which, you know, Barry being the most hopeful of all of the DC characters and say what you want about uh, Jeff Johns as a human being. Certainly plenty to say about that. Say what you want <laughs> about his decisions. I know you and I didn't always appreciate his decisions to sort of uh, discredit and sort of do away with a lot of the characters that we grew up with in the original uh in the 90s with Wally West or, or Kyle Rayner with his love of sort of the 80s 70s 80s versions of those characters uh, Hal Jordan and, and Barry Allen but bringing back Barry Allen into into continuity and him playing such a, a pivotal role in this and being a blue lantern fits so well with that character uh that we've we've grown to love through DC TV and and uh, other iterations and and love and appreciate alongside Huawei West. So um, you know, you know, that I think some people, that's another thing that's controversial. A lot of people see that as a, as a cash grab or a, a dumb sort of, Uh, uh, moment in the series and didn't, didn't love that. Ironically, Liam, during the same, same time that these figures were being released, Mattel released their own and their DC universe classics line. They did uh, a version of these heroes as different lanterns, uh, which led to, again, a lot of anger from the fans that were collecting that series because they didn't want the more modern stuff being thrown into their faces. And because of that, those figures, did not sell as well. So that was a, c- a case, maybe one of the first cases that we eventually would see later on of DC uh, direct slash collectibles, maybe infringing or stepping on the toes of the the retail product and the retail product maybe giving some blowback from from depending on if you read the read the rumor and innuendo that the that the companies were uh, not, ex- the, the standard brick and mortar companies were not necessarily happy that they were taking a portion of collectors away uh, by these, maybe including these other more true to the the comic versions of these characters. So um, with that said, this is such an iconic line. Toyetic is the word again that we would use for it just because all of these figures look good on a shelf. Um, the, you know, you get a vast variety of these different lanterns. Who at the time, the different the different colors of the lanterns were the hottest thing. Kind of going again, you either loved them or you didn't. But those <laughs> that loved them couldn't get enough. Personally, I loved it. I couldn't get enough. That you know, I wanted more people being added on. Later on, they did a couple box sets to get some of the the additional core members from the from the Blue Lantern Corps, the Indigo Corps, incorporated. So it was cool to be able to get some of those other characters uh, in there and filling out sort of your Black Lantern roster there with. With a, with a Necron figure that that looks just man just so cool, um, yeah. yeah. So so these figures look great on a shelf. I think we've highlighted the, the standouts as, as the ones that look great. I have two shelves uh, completely dedicated to this line just because <laughs> I loved it so much. I've added a couple of the additional pieces. I'm missing probably two or three from the, from the box sets that were later, later produced. There's a black lantern, blue beetle that uh, was in a box set that I don't have. That's a expensive figure to come by, but I'm happy to say that I have most of these, these figures on my shelf, but uh, yeah, just a, just a, a cool line and one that was, that I think perfectly encapsulates that 2008 to 2011 era of of DC comics.
1: Yeah, and, and it's one of those ones that doesn't immediately, at least I'm sure we could think of a few. But uh, you have you have the White Lantern Sinestro. That was sort of the birth of the White Lantern. And of course, you would assume that the the greatest lantern of all would be Hal Jordan or or, or, or I mean, one of one of the sort of the human Green Lanterns that we've been with all the time, maybe John Stewart, but no, in fact, it is the true greatest Lantern, as he has always claimed to be, uh, is in fact Sinestro, and he's the first man to wield that White Lantern power. And I, I like seeing that uh, uh, immortalized in in figure form as well. But yeah, overall, like you said, it's a long, sweeping series it will be hard to go through each one and probably give each figure the attention deserves. Uh, but it's, it's a great set and yeah, it sort of goes all encapsulating as we went going all the way for eight entire series. Yep, for sure. And that will move us on Cal to our second one here. And this one probably could have made it into part one as an artist focused series, but we have personally decided Just to focus on this one version, which is the New Frontier set, of course, based on the art and the writing, in fact, of the legendary, the late, great Darwin Cook, who, of course, has uh, his quote-unquote secret origins. He was a a storyboard artist on on Batman Beyond and and Superman, uh, as well as uh, being a prolific comic writer and an artist in his own right. But it was really it was this new frontier series, this idea of telling a story about how, you know, within the world of DC Comics, how we graduated from the sort of World War era uh, Justice Society, the old timers, into the Silver Age of of, of heroism, uh, and sort of this connecting story of, uh, of of it all taking place and and focusing it around all of these various characters. And you you maybe wish this line could have been bigger just because of the giant wealth of characters he uses or who appear for an issue or two, but uh, or just for a few panels maybe. But uh, we do have these two new Frontier sets that uh, debuted in 2006 and 2007. Series one had Superman, uh, Hal Jordan's Green Lantern, Blackhawk, Wonder Woman and Green Arrow, and then that was followed up by a second set with Batman, The Flash, Martian Manhunter, and Dr. Fate. Um, that New Frontier, like I said, almost everything Darwin Cook did was uh insanely iconic. But especially I think I think for most people, this New Frontier series is the one that really stands out to people and some great figures.
0: Yeah, I I would I would agree. These uh, these are from the era where they were more statuesque, less articulation. So they're sort of frozen in particular poses. Uh, one thing I don't think we mentioned in the first first episode which is a lot of these figures because of their posing and because they weren't as dynamically articulate uh, they all came with stands so depending on your real estate for your display purposes you could just stick these on a stand and they would stand up pretty pretty well. Uh, if you're not using the stands however these are these are a set of figures that I kind of have to have in the back of my display so they can <laughs> rest up against the back of the display case because they are heavy. sort of yeah, yeah a little top heavy little unique stance and, and because of their sort of uh, of, of their uh, immobile stances, they're kind of widespread, so it's it's hard to to kind of keep them all together and still have. Use your real estate uh, as 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 appropriately, but yeah, this is a great a great set of figures. Again, we talked in the first part of our episode, which you can hear in the archives at dcaureview.com. Hopefully, you have listened to that before you're listening to part two. But in case you're not, we talked a lot about just the ability that DC Direct and the sculptors that they hired to turn these 2D images into a 3D dimensional product that you can hold in your hands and the difficulty of that you know i think depending on what you're looking at maybe you have an appreciation for you know a movie a movie figure line or the stuff that neca does where you know Mm -hmm. they're a company that does a lot of live action movies and turns that into three dimensions not saying that that's Easy by any uh, by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but it's easier to take a three dimensional object that you can do a 3D scan of and turn it into a three dimensional object because it's already 3D. You're not taking something that's 2D and turning it into 3D. That's just that's just common sense. So the okay. fact that you're able to maintain the the original art style. Uh, to the point where it's still recognizable and turn it into a 3d object that you can hold into your hand and is a feat in and of itself that DC seem DC direct seemed to do over and over and over again and I think that these figures are a tribute to that Darwin cook's uh, his mr. Cooks uh, art style was just so unique and so his own but so familiar and so um you know very invoking of a lot of the Jack Kirby 1950s 1960s style mm-hmm. it's very similar to Bruce you know to it feels familiar and not alien to a Bruce Timm style uh but with that said it's a very unique style and that it's it you're going to be able to you would be able to poke a lot of holes in it if it didn't ring true in a three-dimensional version so uh with that said i i think that these hold up and 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 do very well with that said it's also these are designs that he did that were also sort of based on the designs of the 30s and 40s uh, original designs of these characters so superman has the the sort of squinty eyes that he that he had in the in the the very uh, beginning, where you couldn't, it seemed like his eyes were closed the entire time. Anytime that they, <laughs> they saw him, uh, you know, Wonder Woman has a very 1940s aesthetic, uh, similar to her original look, and Batman has sort of this uh, Dick Spring era mixed with maybe a little bit of of uh, the Adam West style, so that that 60s, but it's uniquely. Uh, Mr. Cook's own design so also translating that into a 3D form was also no easy task so uh, all that to say I've been rambling a little bit here but all that to <laughs> say these figures are are fantastic uh, they look very good they stand stand out again I think what holds them back is maybe the limitation in their articulation because like a character like Green Arrow is uh, he's in this pose he's in his sort of bow bow strike pose where he's shooting an arrow or launch, about mm-hmm. to launch an arrow. You don't have much ability to pose him in a different way or, or to fit him on a shelf. So this, in some ways, lining that up against a figure like Batman who's in a, in a less dynamic pose, it kind of, it's like, ah, oh, this figure doesn't, the Batman kind of pales in comparison then in, in, into this. Cause he's just kind of standing there with his, his hip pointed in a weird direction. Um, but overall, I think this, this whole whole thing does a really great job. One woman comes with an alternate head uh, from like a, an art. She has an, an armor helmet esque uh, head that she's wearing an armored tiara almost that she wears in one of the panels. So you mm-hmm. have an alternate head for her. Um, you get a, a character like the black Hawk. Again, another character that you don't see uh, maybe one other figure that being in the Mattel JOU series. I don't know that you have another black Hawk figure anywhere in the right. <laughs> in in, uh, in figure form, so being able to create these figures, uh, keep them true to the animation or the the drawing style, um, and 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 making them good-looking figures was, is quite the feat.
1: Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's, it's sort of a marriage of a, a Bruce Timm style, a Jack Kirby style, a Dick Sprang style, while still making it uh, making it all your own. I'm sure it seems on a surface level uh, much in the same way that I think a lot of those art styles they it seems so simple to replicate, but there's just these you know these little flourishes or the way way certain people were drawn or that uh, that makes it uniquely his own. And yeah, it's recreated. You do wish, I think, or at least I certainly do. Um, we talked on the, on our last episode on part one about uh, the ideas of of you know fantasy picking more figures to talk about, and we might do a little bit of that later, but you do wish it was a bigger line just because there's so many characters that show up in that movie at least for a scene or two, and certainly towards the end there as sort of we enter the the climax is as the new year, you know, the new age of heroes has sort of arrived and you you see all these beautiful splash pages that he drew of, of the teen Titans and, and sort of the larger justice league roster and some of the other villains and things like that. So you you do wish there could have been more of them, but uh, overall it's still a great set and you got the heavy hitters. Like you said, you got your wonder woman's your green lantern, who's sort of the, the focal point of the, of the series, uh, Batman and the Flash and and Martian Manhunter as well, and then even a you know a few a few sort of smaller players that still look cool, like that being Doctor Fate or, or Blackhawk. So yeah, it's a even though it's a smaller set, it's still a very memorable, and and they they nailed it as far as bringing that that series to life.
0: Uh, definitely, Liam. That will move us on to our next series that we're going to cover, and uh, this is sort of the polar opposite. We talked about how the new frontier maybe was underserved Uh, the (laughs) next, Next series, definitely, I don't think, would qualify as an underserved series, and we're sort of lumping it all together, but that is going to be based on the very popular Rocksteady series and then a 1WB Montreal game, that being the Arkham series. Liam, this is a series that is well filled out here. We have multiple series that came from Arkham City. We have... uh, Arkham uh, Origins. We have Arkham Knight. Uh, A lot of action figures uh, came out of this series. And I remember (laughs) the excitement coming around this uh, when this series was announced. You know, you're getting 3D uh, holdable versions of these 3D characters that you've played hours and hours and hours of, more than likely, in video game form. And uh, that features so many of Batman's iconic Rogues and other characters that are featured in the DC universe. So, here we end up with four or uh, four plus a couple of single releases for Arkham City series, and then we get an Arkham Origins series, and then we get three series of the Arkham Knight. Uh, figures so a lot of characters to go through here we're not going to go through every single one otherwise this would be a six-hour podcast probably but uh, (laughs) anything any highlights stick out for you from this series so i think
1: first of all just the unique design of these games they despite using like obviously the the story of the first two games was written by paul dini uh, you had the vocal talents of, of Mark Hamill and and Kevin Conroy returning to Joker and the Batman. So you have some familiar elements, some elements certainly we as giant DCAU fans were excited about just on a surface level. But the unique design of those games that Rocksteady created where Batman is very, it's very much more of an armored look and that's reflected in as we get to the subsequent certainly to City and we get our looks at Robin and Nightwing and eventually in, in night we get to see Batgirl and and uh, Azrael. It's it's a very like practical armored look for a lot of the the heroes, especially. Absolutely. So I think see, seeing that reflected in the figures, seeing sort of this more, you know, tech focused Batman or or certainly obviously as I, I mentioned in part one, I've I am a Tin Drake Robin action figure addict. <laughs> <laughs> so getting this super unique take, he, he has a, it was funny when they first released the first sort of promo images of Robin and that he was maybe going to be a playable character in the game somewhere for Arkham city. And it was just this image of this armored up character who had like a hood on his cape, but the hood was down and he had this buzz cut and, Sort of at the time, this was right on the edge of like a new 52 uh, taking over in DC. So no one was 100% sure because of the hood and because of this really weird look. Like, is this Tim Drake? Is this going to be the Damian Wayne Robin? It was uh, it was kind of a mystery until the game actually uh, you know got further into production. And we realized that, yes, in fact, it is the uh, the Tim Drake character. So immediately that creates. Uh, problems for me because it means I I have to collect at least the Robins of this set (laughs) uh, of all these various sets. And yeah, they have the the hooded Robin for, uh, for, for the Arkham city set, which I do think is a really good figure. Um, It's, it's, it, it captures that likeness. They do put it in with the hood up, which I think is my preferred look of that suit Uh, in Arkham Knight. They use a pretty similar suit, but he has the hood down for the whole game um and i think i don't know maybe it just gives me chris o'donnell flashbacks but uh, <laughs> this like the short like buzz reddish hair was not a look i particularly liked for really any robin but i think especially for my favorite robin so i i i like especially the arkham city uh robin figure because it has the hood up and comes with the staff and some of that but uh, yeah, I think the, the Robins, of course, for me personally, stand out. But yeah, again, as we talked about, so many different series between Asylum, uh, City, Origins, and Night, you kind of got at least one version of almost every character that appeared. Yeah,
0: there's and there's a lot of lot of uh, large, oversized figures in these sets, mm-hmm. also. Uh, I think the first oversized figure or deluxe figure that they released was a Mr. Freeze, uh, which uh, I think it was just the amount of plastic and stuff that was used in his creation. He isn't, he isn't a, you know, 12 inch tall figure, but he, for some reason he was, he was a very, he was a very expensive at the time of release and has subsequently gone up in significantly in value. (laughs) Uh, I was sort of piecing together an Arkham figure collection a couple years ago. And uh, I was not, Willing or able to pull the trigger on a Mr. Freeze figure uh, at any any point just because of the expense. But uh, these the oversized figures, there's two different Killer Crocs, one from uh, the Arkham City game, I believe, and then one from Arkham Origins. There is Bane, who, if you've played the game, is just an enormous, like... caricature uh, with all these tubes and wires sticking out of his head and, and back for the venom uh, venom deposits. It's just very, a very unique looking figure Uh, again, takes up a lot of real estate on your display shelf. And then the probably the largest figure to date that they've created is the, the sort of ultimate final boss venom venomized Joker, who is just again, a massive figure And uh, I'm I'm fortunate to have as a part of my collection, but I've thought several times about uh, parting with him just because he's so massive. And while it's a very impressive figure, he takes up so much real estate in a in a display case that it's it's almost annoying at times. It's cool to look at. But at the same time, it takes up a lot of real estate where I could display some other things. But they, I appreciate the fact that they not only went with your standard figures and, and invested in a lot of the character roster, but then you also have some of these other ones that are, again, we use the word toyetic, that were, you know, that look really interesting and, and stand out in their designs in the game. And then, of course, translate equally well to, a, to an action figure based on mm-hmm. them being able to translate that design to a, to a 3D in-hand form.
1: Yeah, I think somebody like a Zaz, who again, you talk about somebody who probably doesn't have a lot of action figures, period, um, and has a really weird, unique look But like he's like a really big head, and you have all the scars on him, and he's sort of in like sort of remnants of a of a prison uniform. That one stands out from, I believe, that's from the Asylum line. Uh, and then the, I think the Azrael, it's pretty similar to a comic book Azrael. Uh, figure but again it sort of just has a little bit more realism to it it's a little more armored up there's a few more like buckles and you can see see some of the more detailed look at that Azrael suit in the uh the Arkham City line
0: how about how about the maybe the one and only Anarchy figure ever made
1: yeah that's that's pretty wild Anarchy was such a like a fixture of like early like late 80s early 90s Batman and Robin comics like he was a pretty regular, uh, you know, a guy to show up, but he sort of just fell out of, fell out of favor, I guess, with uh, or maybe people just didn't respond well to the character. But uh, yeah, that's that's the Arkham Origins version using that anarchy character was, uh, was great because again, yeah, to your point, how often are we going to have an opportunity? I know he, believe he, Anarchy later appears in the Beware the Batman cartoon, but that unfortunately really didn't take off in any way uh in any conceivable way and we never really got figures based on those so um at least not deep enough to get to an anarchy figure so yeah this might be the only anarchy i i and uh i like their version of uh firefly again another one that outside of maybe some of the animated versions there aren't a lot of fireflies out there so Seeing that, or the Arkham Origins versions of of uh, Deadshot, or or uh, an Arkham version of of this Deathstroke character, is a uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to see some of those those strange ones, or even the the Arkham City hallucination sequence where he's been taken over, where Batman's been taken over by the Mad Hatter, and he has this weird like rabbit mask on. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that that speaks, I think, to the depth of this line. Also, the fact that you're making a rabbit hallucination Batman. uh, One of the other ones that that I'll speak to the the depth of the line is you get two, you get a variant version of thugs. And obviously, a huge, (laughs) a huge part of this game is beating up thugs you know uh the the lackeys for the villains and you know the gangs that are running around especially in arkham city the gangs that have taken over arkham city but you get a variant version of a clown thug with uh painted different painted hair and different accessories with each one but how many henchmen like bob the goon i think is the only (laughs) other like henchman figure we've ever ever gotten before
1: like i think there's a clown henchman in the dark knight six inch line True. Well, yep. That's true. One of the guys that the Joker shoots in the bank heights at the beginning of the movies.
0: That's a good pull, absolutely. But if but they're yes. few and far between.
1: <laughs> yes. And the
0: rule yes. apparently is they have to be Joker henchmen.
1: That's right. They have to at least be somewhat <laughs> clown based to get a figure made. But yeah, there's a you know a huge clayface figure from wrapping up that city set that's sort of the climax of that game is batman fighting Clayface in a movie theater um so seeing seeing another another big figure there get his line and then yeah getting into the night line uh you have you have this idea and i think i've read things that maybe there were some uh narrative changes made and originally they were going to do the more straight up under the red hood adaptation but then sort of changed it to to something else with this arkham knight character who spoiler alert for a uh, almost six year old game now uh, is Jason Todd and becomes the red hood in DLC that came with the game. If you pre-ordered it uh, after uh, set set after the game. But uh, so you have this, you have Batman, the Arkham Knight, you have Scarecrow who's sort of the main big bad of the whole game, which is interesting because Scarecrow was like a memorable sequence in the asylum game where Batman has these terrible hallucinations and then he's not in Arkham City at all. And I think that surprised people because I think, especially once he's appeared in the Nolan Batman movies, I think once you get beyond the Jokers and Penguins, he's he's kind of right up there on that like B tier of Batman villains. And so to go an mm-hmm. entire game without him, but then to have him sort of come back to be the focal point of this third game and have him be, uh, I love the look they gave him, whereas the mask is sort of torn and you can see that he's like sort of disfigured uh partially due to perhaps uh, uh croc getting hold of him in asylum and sort of that that scarecrow look in the arc of night game is so striking to me and that figure is uh, is a great one
0: i think i think both of the the both of the looks that they gave him the, the one from i guess it's i guess it's city or asylum i don't remember asylum but it's okay from asylum that look I think may be the most iconic redesign of a of a villain like a, a lot of the a lot of the designs that they used in the in the games there wasn't anything super special about them. it's just you know more more of the same basically with the exception of you know making maybe exaggerating certain characteristics like they did with Bane. But for me with, with that scarecrow redesign to me, that was an improvement over a lot of the stuff. He has the gas mask design originally mm-hmm. where it's sort of, you know, he's got this gas mask with a hood and he's walking around and he's in his bare feet. Like just like, he looks like an insane person dressed up as a scarecrow, but it's also yes. creepy.
1: It, it's very yeah, creepy. Yes, the, the, the Freddy Krueger needles, uh, syringes yeah. on his hands. Yep. So uh,
0: yeah. it's, it's a very spooky. And then I think made even better, like you said, with the with the night, the Arkham Knight designs.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I mean, some of the other standouts of that Knight series, you had a another version of Nightwing, which is Nightwing was sort of added last minute in the city as a DLC character to play in like the challenge modes. But he was never actually in the story. So we didn't really know anything about this version of Nightwing beyond that he existed. Uh, so seeing obviously a knight, he actually plays a you know he's there's like a set a set of side missions where Batman and Nightwing are working together to take down the Penguin. So I I, I love the Nightwing of that set, uh, and I I like we got again some of those rare figures we're probably not likely to see a lot of. We got a Professor Pig figure, uh, <laughs> which oh my goodness what what are the chances of ever seeing that again? Underrated underrated figure. <laughs> Agreed. Unless unless he makes it into one of maybe one of the live action movies or uh, again, he was used in the Beware the Batman cartoon. But uh, unless he gets a more iconic version in a in a future uh, movie or TV series, I'm not sure how likely it is we may ever see a Professor Pig figure again. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, I love the man bat from that series as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that night set. And I I think one that really stands out to me, though, is that the two pack of sort of in the main story, Barbara Gordon has already been shot. She's been Oracle since the first game, but we do get this little DLC prequel where she is still Batgirl and she teams up with Robin. And uh, so I think, I think maybe of uh, wrapping up the, the Arkham Knight series, I think that Batgirl and Oracle two pack stands out to me.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great one too. Oracle is another character that has been, that was, pre new 52 is so pivotal to the, the bat family and Mm -hmm. uh, it was vastly underproduced. I think they did a birds of prey three pack maybe, uh, but there weren't a lot of, I guess they, uh, you know, they thought maybe producers thought that people wouldn't want a character in a wheelchair, which is ridiculous based on the popularity of professor X, but that's just my, that's just my assumption and assuming terrible things about people, I guess (laughs) just naturally assume there was a terrible reason why they didn't do that. But for such a character that was so pivotal and popular and uh, a mainstay in the bat family through that nineties before, before sort of retconning her paralysis that there weren't a lot of Oracle figures that were made. So having an Oracle figure produced and she plays a pivotal role in the Arkham games as well. So having that happen, that was, that was, that is a, is a standout
1: as well. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, not not to get too far on the soapbox here, but uh, there aren't a lot of uh, physically handicapped superheroes, and oh, uh, maybe point. maybe magically making one of them be able to walk again, uh, maybe that was a mistake <laughs> from uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from a, just from a even just from a cynical marketing standpoint or inclusivity check a box for your diversity checklist standpoint. Maybe it wasn't smart or good to. Uh, take one of your most high profile uh, disabled heroes and just magically make them walk again. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just talking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, moving, <laughs> moving on. I think, yeah, I, I think the only ones of course that we didn't stand out, the obvious standout for the Arkham Knight series is the, is the red hood. They made two different versions. There was one, I think that was a GameStop exclusive and then uh, one that was just uh, sort of without his jacket and hood. And then there's one with his jacket and, and uh, and the hood that was removable, but the Arkham Knight character itself had had its own figure, which I thought was a little limited because in the in the game he sort of has this reflective um, LED helmet that sort of mm-hmm. displays things. That's a that was a hard look. I th- think unfortunately they didn't have many options to translate that. Maybe a light up uh, mask would have would have done some some difference to it, but it doesn't quite. Maybe even just a reflective like silverish metallic uh covering plastic covering on it would have helped a little bit but it doesn't quite capture the essence of that of that character all the way but the the red hood i think is is obviously that's a again another one of those popular characters that every one of its figures seems to be extremely valuable and and go Mm -hmm. up in value so uh definitely if you're interested in collecting this line that's i think that's a must for the line and uh definitely start saving your pennies if that's one that you want to add to the to the list (laughs)
1: yeah and i think maybe the last thing to mention on here is uh this is and i'd have to look at the exact timeline of everything but i think this is one of the first things that started doing harley in non-traditional uh costumes Uh Uh, uh i think asylum coming out in 2009 she has like her weird nurse outfit that she's in in that one uh, she has like a biker motif in Arkham City, and then she sort of has, uh, she kind of goes similarly back to the the outfit from the first one, but without the nurse's hat and without the the domino mask in uh, in Arkham Knight. So they came up with three very unique uh, Harley looks that weren't. Uh, we do eventually get, and there was of course a figure made of her in the classic jester look that, that comes from that Batgirl DLC. But, uh, yeah, they, they kind of were, were sort of a little bit of groundbreakers now. Now I think it's pretty common to see, as we've t- we talked about in part one, you know, the current uh, the, uh, whether the Birds of Prey movie that just came out or The Suicide Squad, which is coming out next year. It's kind of not so outlandish anymore to see so many different Harley looks or certainly if you've read the books over the years. But, uh, you know, this was sort of a, at the time, I think, was kind of breaking new ground of, of giving her a lot of different looks kind of. Yeah, I mean, it changed literally from game to game. All right, Cal. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for part two of our DC Directrospective. There will, in fact, be a part three coming soon, focused solely on a single line or a single uh, artist's rendition through various lines. Uh, those, of course, being the the namesake of this podcast, the DCAU lines. Quite a few to talk about there. But before we wrapped up this second part here, we thought it would be fun to uh, to do a fun little extra, is one would be out of these other dc direct lines uh some honorable mentions that maybe didn't make our list that maybe we didn't uh have enough to go on for in great detail but some honorable mentions of dc direct lines that we uh that we still love uh from over the years Cal.
0: Yeah, I mean, we truly could. I mean, we've spent a long time talking about this enough. We're going to have enough content here to spread over three episodes as we learned as we were recording here. Um, So really, truly, we could probably have enough content as passionate and, and as great as the DC direct uh, company and the the amount of products that they've released over the 22 years they've been in existence. Uh, we could probably do another four or five bonus episodes if we, if we went in depth with everything, but uh, there were so many great lines and so many that I've actually, you know, that both of us have, have dipped into and collected uh, because of them being products that are near and dear to our hearts, um, and I would say, say one that I love that I felt like they did a great job of exploring and really took advantage of the fact that um, that they had the ability to create so many characters would be the DCTV line Liam and that starting out with the arrow verse and of course Stephen Amell's iconic portrayal of arrow offshoots and spin-off series the flash and uh, Grant Justin's um, uh, version of, of Barry Allen and then uh, the, the legends of tomorrow and getting a a, a, uh, a an Adam figure and a black canary figure and uh, so many different characters that maybe we wouldn't get, uh, Arsenal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, slash Speedy, you know, we get, get various versions. And then a Carol Danvers, uh, uh you know, version of Melissa Benoit, Supergirl figure in a, and a, and the list goes on and on and on, but, uh, they did a really, really great job and, and maybe didn't, didn't nail the likenesses the, every single time. <laughs> uh, but I, I think did a, a great job of really filling out, uh, something that when you see it on tv it's one of those things you're like man I wish I had an action figure from this set as a collector you're like man that would look great as an action figure and the fact that they were able to sort of go uh shows deep roster deep uh heroes villains um they did a really really great job so I I think that deserves some kudos
1: yeah definitely from yeah from your a-listers from your flashes and arrows to your your heat waves and your, and some of the the more obscure characters that got to get figures made. Uh, Felicity. Felicity
0: got a figure.
1: That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that's so, that's so great that they were able to kind of run the gambit there on some of the bigger names of the series. Some of the top villains like reverse flash, but also, work in kind of some of the 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 lesser used or lesser known characters and certainly like that that arsenal that's maybe my favorite live action superhero suit of anything Mm -hmm. uh and so to have a a figure of that uh that roy harper arsenal suit is, uh, is super cool to me and that's one that i went out of my way to collect even when I wasn't necessarily doing a lot of figure collecting at that point in my life. So yeah, a lot of those DC TV lines, even though the likenesses weren't always 100% on, I still don't think there's ever been a good Stephen Amell likeness for uh, any of the Oliver Queen figures or statues, but uh, Yeah. yeah, still, still a great little line there. Agreed. And from there, I will jump to one of my honorable mentions, Cal, speaking of DC television series, uh, I'm going to go with the Smallville line. Um, so there were two. We had very early on when the show was first airing, there was three released, a very immobile, you talk about not a lot of points of articulation. We had uh, no movable legs uh, and uh, I think it was basically just arm, arms, arm joints and and movable arms and movable heads and that was it. It was a, a Clark Kent, a Lex Luthor and a Lana Lang uh, figure, which of uh, all in their season one garbs, which were kind of a neat little thing to have, but they weren't super, super interesting. But later on in the sixth season, when they did an episode that featured sort of the beginnings of a Justice League type group, they did another series that featured a more, to me, the more iconic look of Clark in Smallville, him in the red jacket with the blue shirt underneath uh, as well as rounding out that uh, that Justice League of, of Green Arrow, uh, Impulse, Cyborg, and Aquaman. So uh, some not a, never we never got like a full on Smallville set. A lot of villains that I would have liked to have seen them make, or, or certainly maybe even you know smaller characters like the Kent's or Lionel Luthor or people like that. But still uh, still cool that we got some Smallville figures. You know I I always want to hold on to Smallville.
0: <laughs> yes yes indeed yeah would have been would have been great to fill out that roster again uh even maybe later on when they were doing dctv stuff you know maybe do l- later on versions of that i don't i don't know what rights and and stuff they have to certain character likenesses and how long they mm-hmm. do but would have been would have been cool to see them in the DC collectibles era sort of fill out some of that roster, but uh, alas, you can hold on to that which was already designed and created. And, and those figures are worth an investment also too. Those are those are not easy to come by and are not uh, are not inexpensive figures. So uh, if you see those for a good deal. Pick up those Smallville figures, uh, Liam, Another honorable mention that I would throw out there would be the the first appearance line. Uh, I thought this was a unique unique line, one that uh, was a unique idea. You get all these iterations. We mentioned how there were some artists that maybe were robbed of artist specific lines, but uh, there were were times where they got their their art highlighted. Uh, I remember from that line, you you have a, very, a vast array of different uh, different artist features all the way from from, from uh, the Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster original design of Superman and the Bob Kane at the time only credited to Bob Kane. of course, you know, <laughs> Bob Kane and Bill Finger design of Batman and their first appearances, but you also had some more unique figures in their first appearances. You get a Nightwing, the the sort of George Perez disco tech era, popped collar, uh, Nightming figure you get uh, you get yes. Robin from, from the Dick Spring era you do get a uh, you, you actually have a Batgirl one of the few again one of the few Cassandra Cass, uh, Cassandra Kane figures that were produced uh, gets a gets her own figure but I thought this was a unique line because it comes with a stand uh, the packaging was done really really well something that you could keep mint in the package if you liked, or you could you could break it out of it and, and stand, have it stand on its own. But uh, this was a unique series that, uh, while it incorporated some of those Golden Age designs, I, I felt like it could have been expanded upon to include a few more things, uh, maybe more modern debuts like they did with uh, Cassandra Cain Batgirl and include a few more, uh, more recent characters. But uh, I, I thought it was a nice little series.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a cool little thing. I, I love that Wonder Woman, especially that, uh, that, that sensation comics, uh, Wonder Woman is, uh, it, I, I like that one a lot. And I, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a cool little set. And yeah, you, you feel like that's one of those ones, as you said, that could have gone on forever and, uh, you know, mixed in some more, some more modern characters from the, from the eighties or nineties or even into the two thousands. But, uh, Yeah, still still a a cool novel idea and a a way to, as you said, kind of get some some classic likenesses of these characters that maybe weren't going to get their own artist series. And from there, Cal, I will move us on to my final honorable mention, which is going to be the Nightfall line. This is not a big line. And uh, speaking of a line that you feel like, again, could have gone forever based on how many characters appear throughout this uh, this Nightfall series. Yep. Um, but there's still some some pretty strong figures. I think uh, there's been, been some cool Bane figures over the year, but I don't know if there's a Bane I like the look of as much as I like this Nightfall DC Direct Bane figure.
0: Yeah, you mentioned this could be this could have been a set based on the importance of this this line. The you know is a tent tentpole line. They did a whole Death of Superman line. Uh, again, maybe could have been fleshed out a little bit more than than the amount of figures they ended up doing for it. But you did a, a whole Death and Return of Superman line. Uh, and made multiple lines out of that, but this somehow ended up being a single five-figure series that never included Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, we never included Robin. Uh, you get Nightwing. Uh, you get uh, one of the versions of the Azrael Batman costumes, uh, all of which are extremely toyetic, uh, yes. by the way. Uh, you get Bane, and you get a, a somewhat balanced Catwoman version of uh, of of Catwoman. But uh, that's about it for that series. And again, with as as many characters and villains that are used leading up to it, as many as the iconic covers, even if you're so, I you know, you could have done a whole series of Kelly Jones cover Batman figures based on yes. his iconic art. And I, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, you know that that's that's something that's near and dear to our hearts. And we have an appreciation for as goofy as those some of those those covers are an unrealistic as they are, I, there's just something about those covers that are so comfortable and so familiar and so iconic to me. Uh, you could have done a whole line off of that or or the interior art. Uh, either way, um, yeah, the fact that this only has five five figures created from it and, you know, y- you're lucky that you got a Bane, I feel like, out of it at all. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they hit a couple of the big ones, but, yeah, not having a red Azrael Batman or, as you mentioned, just a traditional – Bruce Wayne Batman much less a a Robin or a croc or some of those other villains that are are kind of important to the the first couple chapters there that's yeah that's that's a big missed opportunity I do love like I said I love that Bane and like all the figures they made are pretty nice I like that Catwoman I really like I've always loved that Nightfall Nightwing suit um so seeing that in a, in a more modern figure was cool. Other than the the Kenner release of the uh, of the mid 90s and the Legends of the Dark Knight line, we hadn't gotten a lot of versions of Nightwing in that suit, so it was cool to see that. But yeah, it definitely just feels like a big what if based on how small it ended up being.
0: Absolutely. Well, Liam, I think that we touched on something there that would be an excellent segue to our final uh, final part of this second part of our DC direct perspective. And that is going to be our opportunity to fantasy book one last line of figures from any of the lines that we have covered today. You mentioned it earlier in the episode. So we're going to, we're going to have the opportunity to take one of the lines that we've discussed here, whether it's from the Arkham, Arkham series, maybe one of our honorable mentions here, that's all fair game or any of the ones that we covered in our first episode and say, all right, we're going to take these four characters, because that's ten, tended to be what DC Direct did more than not, which is release a series of four. And these are the four figures that we're, we would see if we had power and we were able to say, this is one final line that DC Direct is going to go out on top with. They're going to do these four figures from this specific line. And I will turn it over to you first, Liam, uh, to to hit uh, a, a series of four.
1: Okay. So I am going to choose from one that we actually talked about in this episode here, part two, and that would be the new frontier line. Um, huh. So many iconic versions of those characters exist. Like I said, some of them just show up near the end and kind of nice splash pages, but there's a few that I wanted that I thought would make a good set. So my four would be, I would like a Robin from that set. Cause I am a one note character. Um, <laughs> I would like. Uh, I always love the way he drew him. I would like this is a this is the off the wall one. Adam Strange. Whoa. Uh, I would like a first appearance Batman because early in that graphic novel, we see him in sort of the classic Bob Kane Bill Finger look, and okay. he terrifies a small child. And that's and and they, there's a scene where he's Superman later explaining why he changed the 50s Dick Sprang look was that he was, he didn't want to, he wanted to scare criminals, not children. Right. So I think having a, a Darwin Cook edition of that original Batman design would be very cool. And then wrapping up that set, I think, I think I would go with another young character because I, I liked the the look of that set of uh, some of those splash pages at the end. And I'm going to go one just I feel like who didn't get a lot of figures. How about a, a Donna Troy Wonder Girl? The Teen Ooh. Titans kind of show up right at the end of that series, and it's sort of the original team of Robin, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Wonder Girl. And I was like, hey, maybe maybe the Robin and Wonder Girl would be a two-pack or something. But seeing uh, seeing them in there, I, I, I think I would like to see that. So, yeah, that's that's my four. Like I said, some of them are kind of off the wall, but I would like a Robin, a first-appearance Batman, a Donna Troy wonder girl and an Adam strange.
0: I like it. Hey, you know what? I mean, if DC direct was known for anything, as we said, it was releasing some of these characters that maybe didn't get a lot of love on the mainstream. So the fact that, yeah, Adam strange character doesn't have a lot of, lot of action figures has certainly become more popular in the last, uh, you know, 12 months or so with, uh, Tom King's uh, run on, on his, uh, on his, his book. So yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Tom King and, uh, along with, uh, Doc Shaner and Mr. Ads have just really, uh, they've done a lot of cool stuff with that character. And I, we, we may be getting more Adam strange as, uh, as the years go on from here, but yeah, I think a Darwin cook version of Adam strange would be, would be a, a really, to
0: have did you know that there was actually one planned from his designer series that never saw the light of day really i did not know that yep there i saw a prototype pop up on ebay one one time it was a darwin cook adam strange so there was definitely one planned. so it's really not that off the wall either now that you think about it (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah that 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 would have been a good one too very seems very appropriate for that new frontier era too so um, yeah that's all that's right, a great well one.
1: That, that leaves us with uh, with your choices for one last set of oh, fantasy booking one last set of these iconic lines we've talked about
0: all right well I think I think that I'm gonna have to go with a uh, a, a hush line I feel like I should have been a little more prepared with this seeing as how I knew what the question was uh, <laughs> but if I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna go with finishing out the hush line uh, so one, is going to be Talia al Ghul who is featured in that storyline who does not have a lot of figures of her own Um, without you could sit that next to your race. I would say uh, Tim Drake, who you already mentioned as a miscarriage of justice that he didn't have a figure from that series. Um, I would say an Oracle Barbara Gordon in wheelchair Mm. Uh, as, as the aforementioned Complete the Bat team, and hey, we, this figure deserves more figures than they ever had made, seeing as how they were such a pivotal role in that uh, that mid 90s to mid 2000s Bat family. And then I guess I would have to go with a, even though he got a release in a box set later on, this is kind of cheating, but just a standard Superman uh, outside of the uh, uh, the poison ivy control, m- no vines. Uh, on a batman stand uh standard base uh sort of cheating sort of cheating uh but i couldn't think of another character from that uh (laughs) from that run maybe an unmasked hush uh could work or harvey dent harvey dent played a role Mm -hmm. obviously in that too uh did not uh did not get an action figure from that series he was sort of a red
1: herring. yeah we got a hallucination of huntress fighting her older self you could have done like the the late '90s Huntress look.
0: Good call. Yeah, so one one of those one of those to kind of round out that order probably would have been good. I'll I'll go with a Harvey Dent because he's a unique character. It's not a reuse of one of the other characters, and um, you know, you're not going to get too many. He kind of has a Lex Luthor vibe in that comic, just sort of a bald guy with a, a little bit of a scarred face, but um. Definitely plays a pivotal role in in possibly being a red herring. So if you're not going to do an unmasked Tommy Elliott, then do a do a uh do go ahead and do a Harvey Dent. So that would be my fantasy booking of a final line of hush figures.
1: I love it. And all right, Cal, that's gonna wrap us up for our part two. Like we said, we still have part three coming later on down the line here in probably a couple of weeks. Uh, where we will be solely focusing on the DCAU Batman Animated Series, Batman New Batman Adventures Lines, as well as some of the other smaller releases that we got from that from those sets. So look forward to that. But that'll wrap us up for this week. So until next time, I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll see you on the next episode of the DCAU Review.
0: To be continued.